Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Bella Asks episode of The Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin. As longtime members of the Business Ethics Leadership Alliance, or Bella, know, we offer a special concierge service whereby Bella members who have any questions at all about ethics and compliance can send them to us, and then our internal experts will provide an answer and or direct them to a helpful resource for more information. Some of these concierge requests are rather specific to a particular company's needs, but many of them represent broad challenges facing Bella members. That's why we are using this show to thematically respond to high-level questions from the Bella community. Joining us to give those responses is Bella Chair Erica Salmon-Byrne. Erica, welcome. It's great to see you again. Bill, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be back. So our next question comes from the category of policy and policies, and it reads simply, how do I create a policy on policies? This, this may sound like an odd question, people who are new to the field, but it's pretty fundamental. So can you talk about how do I create a policy on policies? Yes. And I will start, Bill, with my favorite part of, of any of these questions, which is, why would I create a policy on policies, right? Isn't this a Byzantine additional silly level of structure that I don't really need? And the answer to that is, no, you really do. And here's why. If you don't have a policy on policies, then anything could potentially be promulgated across your business as a policy. And that ecosystem can grow out of control in a nanosecond, right? Um, I don't know if it's still up on the Bellum Rumber Hub, but years ago, I recorded a podcast episode with Herb Wilgus at Microsoft because he had just gone through a whole process of basically simplifying their policy universe, right? And he had taken the policy universe there from 1,300 policies. Think about that. I don't care what generative AI you have in place. Nobody is going to help you find the answer you need in 1,300 policies, right? Yeah. Down to 103, right? So massive simplification of the policy universe. And he did it by first drafting a policy on policies. And you might say to yourself, if you already have 1,300 policies, why do you need a 1,301th policy? Like, you know, come on. Yeah. But what he did is he used it, and this is how I would use it. He used it to... Um, say what a policy is in the first place and to differentiate a policy from a procedure or a guidance document, right? Procedures and guidance documents are super, are super important. They're not policies. So really taking the time to step back and say, what is a policy here, right? What rises to the level of a policy? How often does a policy have to be updated? Who gets to update the policy? Um, where is that policy going to live? Who does that policy apply to? All of those things go in your policy on policies. That then gives you the opportunity to say, nice try, buddy. That's a procedure, not a policy, right? Much easier to update, quicker, faster, right? Intended to be a guidance document, something that helps somebody get something done mm -hmm. as opposed to the policy itself. So lots of cases, you wind up with policies appended to procedures, very common, but those aren't policies. So taking the time to set forth, you know, that policy governance structure, what does a policy look like, make a template for what a good policy looks like that can be used across your organization. Why do you want to do that? So that when I, as the employee, pick up an HR policy and an IT policy, they look the same to me as policies, and I know where to find what I'm looking for. If my IT policy is structured using one structure and my HR policy is structured using a totally different structure, 
it's going to be very hard for me to find the answer I'm looking for, looking at those two totally different policies. Then, and here's an important point, set some guidance in your policy on policies for your writers of policies. This is something that we've got data on in the sphere today, but, um, but it is absolutely something that I would recommend everybody who's thinking about a policy on policies think about, right? Standard template, very common. What's the writing style? Are we writing formally? Are we writing informally? How do we feel about contractions? Are we comfortable with sentences that start with and, right? What is your style guide for your policies? So that, again, you're setting a consistent tone across drafters. Because what you don't want is you don't want one department responsible for drafting all your policies. That makes no sense. You want your subject matter experts drafting your policies. But in order to do so consistently, you're going to give them a template to follow and guidance. Can I ask you a follow-up question? Anytime. If somebody's listening to this episode and they go, okay, Erica, I understand. I get the why. I understand it. This is cool. I just, I just don't feel comfortable writing. It, this is very, very hard for me. I want to start with an example. Where would you direct people to go get a template that they could use or go to find an example that will help them get started on the actual nuts and bolts in the trenches you know, work on yep. writing that policy on policies? So, Bill, we actually put ours on the Bell Member Hub. So anybody who is interested in taking a look at what a good policy on policies look like, Looks like we took um, our version of the policy on policies here at Ethosphere and we actually posted it on the member hub. So um, anybody who wants to take a look at that, that's a Bella member, uh, is welcome to go and do so and use that as your jumping off point of inspiration. Also, as I mentioned, we have a lot of data on this in the sphere. So you can go in and look at like how many of my peers have a writing level, uh, a reading level rather, how many of my peers have set a passive voice target. Passive voice targets are so important because it gives your drafters a real metric to say, whoa, I am like way exceeding the 15% passive voice allowed, you know, in our policy guidance, I'm making this document something that nobody can read. So um, those are the kinds of, of, you know, tidbits of guidance that we've gathered over the years that are really about, I mean, Bill, at the end of the day, nobody wants to read a policy, right? I mean, they're, they're going to the policy to find an answer, make it easy for them. Erica, thank you so much for being such a fantastic professional and for being my partner in crime here on Ethicast. It would not be the same without you. Bill, thank you so much. It is absolutely one of my favorite parts of my week that I get to come and answer these questions with you. So to all of those Bella members out there, please keep those questions coming. And I promise you, I'll come back to answer. I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been a special Bella Asks episode of the Ethicast. For more episodes, please visit the Ethisphere YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ethisphere. And if this is your first time enjoying the show, please make sure to like and subscribe either on YouTube or on our podcasting platforms at Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. To learn more about Bella, please visit bella.ethosphere.com to request guest access to the Bella Member Resource Hub and to speak with the Bella Engagement Director. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, remember, strong ethics is good business. Ethics doesn't just happen. You need to put in the time. So make sure to register for the 15th Annual Global Ethics Summit, a live and virtual event in Atlanta, Georgia, from April 22nd through the 24th. Save $200 by using the code ETHICAST at registration. To learn more, visit attendges.com.